This episode of Super Pulp Science has been brought to you by Pachacucha, a speaking series that Gregory Kamichuk, Justin Curry, and Sam Biko will be participating at in Winnipeg on February 20th. They're going to be back-to-back as well, so... I think they're going to be ripping each other apart. It'll be a great show. Join us at the Park Theater. Doors open at 7.30. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. Hello, everyone. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. My name is Gregory Kamichuk, <laughs> and this is my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry. Hello. I think you can tell by now that I am not Gregory Kamichuk, although my voice does sound nice and deep and smoky and could pass for him. And I was going to do a whole thing where I pretended to be him for the first five minutes, but I really can't do it because he just texted us to say, I missed the podcast, <laughs> and it tugged on my last heartstring my dead cold heart uh so here we are today gregory is not here he is off in the wilds promoting uh something that he spoke about on one of the last episodes or not really promoting but helping with the organization yeah what are you, so yeah for Gregory's red earth in calgary right now and what are they doing like what is the purpose of the trip you know i don't think that either of us really know no but we th- just... this would be a good moment to just speculate okay uh, speculate so uh, let's see, they're taking a hit out on someone who has a lot of money because the arts are woefully underfunded and the right. only way to get what you want now is mercenary work. Uh, so that's my best <laughs> I think he's rolling up a body in a carpet right now um, amidst playing video games with his friend. Yes, he's staying there with a mutual friend of ours, um, Tom, who has the most amazing video game room um, equipped with a huge like cauldron of candy in the middle of the table. Oh my God, yeah. And uh, yeah. mention this. You're just, you haven't eaten candy since then. I don't think I've eaten that much candy. you binged yeah. real hard. It was great. You paid for it. It was like nine hours of Resident Evil 7. Is that the one with the, the one set in the bayou? I think that's one of the new, yeah. it was great. Yeah. So yeah, we <clears throat> almost completely beat the game while eating candy the entire time. Jesus. It was great. Were you much younger? <laughs> I, I looked younger, yeah, before. <laughs> the candy and then just the candy weathered the... you horribly. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, so that's where he is right now. So sucks to be him. Yeah. I own the podcast now. <laughs> he, his absence is just him ceding his place to me. Uh, so, uh, but today, work does still go on mm-hmm. with, with, it, with him gone. And uh, the last little while, we've been working on a completely different project in the studio from what you guys usually work on, which is like illustrated books or, you know, your regular prints. Um, you guys have ventured into the young adult fantasy realm. Exciting. That's the sound of us going down some kind of magic portal into uh, commercial land. <clears throat> So actually, young adult fantasy is kind of, I guess it's my purview. That's what I write in, because also, uh, dear listener, for those of you who haven't heard my dulcet tones on the podcast before, uh, I write primarily young adult series fantasy, uh, traditionally published, and uh, but we also have a mutual friend, Claire Marshall, who we've had on the podcast before, and we've talked Twice. about extensively. Yes, yes. she's great. Um, together with our powers combined with... Uh, the Silent Guardian series, which is what Gregory and Justin are most known for in their book worlds, with Cassie and Tonk, Rust and Water, and soon Dragon Nanny. And soon Dragon Nanny. Um, they wanted to develop that further uh, using kind of the YA fantasy realm. So that's kind of like chapter books 
for those, the uninitiated who are listening to this, and developed that world further, and you hired Claire as a writer on spec. Yeah, and like part of the reason for that is we, um, Claire is not traditionally published as most people think. She doesn't have a publisher and, and whatnot. She does it all herself. She's, um, yeah, self-starter, self-published, and we kept seeing her at all these Comic-Cons with tables like ours, but just selling her young adult novels. Um, and she, yeah, she has a great presence and seems to be doing a great job. And then turns out she's also a pretty wonderful person. I, yeah, I guess. I guess. She's um, my best friend, full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't in, know initially how the idea came up. Was it just like we were all out one evening and thought like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to work together? Yeah, and I think it's also she's very, she's very quick because in the way one of the really great things I find about self-publishing is that you can just get the book out a lot faster and you don't have to rely on a publishing schedule, which is kind of like you need 18 months of a cycle before the book actually comes out. And she could write it and you know, send it off to be edited, lay it out, package it, and print it, and then she'd be selling it within a couple of months almost. Um, so she and has... And getting that money, that <clears throat> investment back right away, whereas most publishing deals... The book comes out, you start selling it, but it's a while before you see any royalties. Right, right. Yeah. and then you kind of, you after like a six-month window, you're no longer new because, yeah, they have to, the publisher has to make way for the other titles coming in. Is that just the way it's always been? Is that just... It, I mean, yes, because you constantly have to be having a new publishing schedule coming in. Usually that satisfies like grant scheduling as well. Okay. And it's just, that's just the sales cycle. But when you're self-publishing, anytime you show up to sell direct to market in the way that you and Gregory do uh, at a convention, you're just selling things directly to people. It's new to someone yeah. every single time. Uh, so, and it's been really great because she's been building this brand since I've known her, since uh, 2010, 2011. And people are always asking her, when's the next book in your series coming out? And so, you know, she has repeat customers. She's built a really great brand. And because of that, because of that breadth of experience, I think you guys were like, maybe we could do a thing together. And mm. we, it's very remarkable, but we like each other. It's After true, all this weird, time, yeah. it's, uh, it's painful <laughs> to admit because I'm so full of hate, apparently. <laughs> it's my character on this podcast. Um and we just figured it would be a great fit. And what's been really cool is that not only has Claire written it, like this couple days ago, she handed in the final manuscript. She met her deadline. Um, but we've also been developing it as she's been writing it. So it's been a very different experience, I think, for me especially as a writer, um, where you know, you're very isolated, you just sit down, you have your idea, your, your plan, and you just do it. But she hasn't been doing it in a bubble. She's been like asking us questions. How could this mechanic work? And you guys have had field a lot of lore yeah, questions. Yeah, that's been very interesting. The, uh, like the lore of Cassie and Tonk and the Silent Guardians world, um, we kind of leave it a big mystery on purpose because I think a lot of my favorite stories and, and favorite films are the ones that allude to a bigger, grander world with all this complexity. But as soon as you go in and you explain it all, the magic kind of is ruined a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Like if you knew the origin story of the Iron Giant, I don't think that film would be nearly as great. Right. And they even, like in the deleted scenes, they even have a sequence that shows, um, it's all storyboarded of like the, they have like, it's a war on Mars or something like that, but they cut that all out of the film and I think that was a good decision. The less you know, the more 
your readers or viewers' imagination kind of fill in the gaps, and usually they do a better job than if you spell it all out. Um, and so now Claire is, is, we've plunked her into our world, and she's had to, and she's writing a story, but she has questions, and because it's a different medium, it's the written word and not visual, she, she has to understand how the world works, and so she's had to ask all these questions. Very hard questions. Very hard, that, and we've had to come yeah. up with answers for them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is, you'd think that wouldn't be as tedious as Justin is making it sound, considering how much fun we did have story-breaking <laughs> on a couple episodes ago. But again, this is a world that you and Gregory built, and you, like you said, you relied on just kind of letting the reader fill in the gaps. Um, but the thing is that, for Claire, she doesn't necessarily have to explain it in the book, but she does have to know the answers in in her so that she can express it in a way that is still clear. I know that itself sounds like a muddled enigma, but you have to kind of, as the puppet master, you have to know what strings you can pull and how you can express it. You know, words, blah, 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 like that. Can you do that, blah, blah, blah? Well... You get the idea anyway. We're coming back to this world again. So we're having, we have Cassian Tonk, Rust and Water, Dragon Nanny, a couple other books. Um, but we do eventually plan on doing another Cassian Tonk book. And potentially if this Claire's book is as successful as we're all hoping, we'd like to maybe do another novel in this world as well. So if we don't have the basic rules and, and kind of lore figured out now, it'll be a mess and I think there's good examples in some movie tri like movies and shows where mm -hmm. you know at some point you you should have it figured out or else you'll just keep yeah yeah you know it. what's you know what's kind of funny it's a kind of funny segue but Kingdom Hearts 3 came out recently mm -hmm. and I only played the first one and I didn't finish it and but I really kind of enjoyed what story I had seen and then yesterday I watched a, a 30 minute summary of the story of Kingdom Hearts and it's so horrifyingly bad in terms of just oh. it's just so I didn't realize there were so many side games first yes. of all birth by sleep and yeah 358 over two like yeah, all these yeah. really stupid titles and all the story <laughs> is just it looks like the writers just had no idea what they had started with and they were just hodgepodging it yeah and it's it's just a constant hodgepodge. And now I understand why people are just freaking out now that Kingdom Hearts 3 has come out because they have no idea what this stupid story <laughs> is going to be now. Um, and so that kind of, after watching that, I was like, you know, I think we've done pretty okay with, uh, with Claire's book. Um, and what's really interesting is that while she did write it very quickly, you guys, you and her, have been talking about it, I think, since Montreal Comic-Con or Ottawa Comic-Con last yeah, we, year. Yeah, we hung out a bunch in Montreal and then actually in Toronto at, at the Fan Expo. Um, after everybody went home, we went out and, uh, yeah, sat around and, and just kind of, we story broke and, and talked about different aspects and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it's it's been great. She... She had she brought so many great ideas that I hadn't considered and um, was like she was a great back and forth right like mm -hmm. when and that's something I'm I'm discovering the more and more I work on stories and projects with people is some people you can just you can get along with and and brainstorm um, in a con very conducive and constructive manner and some people you just can't brainstorm with it's just like the chemistry <coughs> isn't there so I was super happy after like the sitting down with her a couple times and just seeing that we had the same kind of 
brainstorming chemistry. Right. Because, yeah, I was going to ask, how difficult was it for you to kind of hand over the reins of a story that, you know, is kind of, it's very near and dear to you guys, which is evident by the fact that you really want to play in this world a lot. Um, and you just kind of were like, here, Claire, you do it. You do a thing with it now. <laughs> um, I don't, and there are a lot of people out there who are very precious about their ideas and who really, who do not think like you at all, who are not collaborative and like, it has to be like this. And if it isn't like this, then there is no, there's nothing. I don't yeah. want to work with you. So was that difficult for you guys or? Uh, no, I, I don't think I ever <clears throat> had any reservations because uh, we're familiar with Claire's work and we know she knows what we're doing. And like you said, we're not pres that precious that, you know, here's, you know, kind of our sandbox, go play in it. I, um, yeah, I was never too worried about that. And I know what you mean. There's, uh, it made me think of Star Wars, like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Star Wars hasn't, it's, it's so rigid. I feel like there's like eight levels of people that need to approve every little idea before it could see the page or see the screen. And the, the whole series just feels constricted. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. I don't like that it doesn't feel like they can expand. And actually, Tolkien stuff is, I feel the same as well. I've played a couple um, Lord of the Ring games and it really bugged me the fact that they didn't really invent any new characters or any new mm -hmm. enemy types or any, like it's, you know, it's the cave trolls and the orcs and el like, you know, you can't expand past that right. initial subject matter. And that always bothered me. So I was, yeah, I was super excited about the idea of somebody else expanding upon it. And yeah. And almost like know. reinventing, yeah. but still maintaining. Uh, and I, so I've read the whole book. Because I have not. I've only read f three chapters? Yes, yes, because that's the only amount of chapters I supplied you guys mm -hmm. with. Um, it's my book now. My mom also read it last night. Oh, really? She read the first three Really? Chapters. Can I get uh, a sense of her feedback? Does she have any? Uh, she liked it. Yeah. I don't, yeah, there wasn't no detailed feedback. I w I'm going to get her notes later today, I think. But, okay, good. Yeah. Mom, I need a reader's report on my desk. She also did the dishes at the studio. No, I know that was my reaction. All right, dear listener, <laughs> I want to put uh, Gregory Kamichuk on blast because he's not here to defend himself because he would make up some kind of excuse, but it is always his turn <laughs> and he did not do it. It's fine. Actually, in fact, it might be my turn now that I've put him on blast and now that I really <laughs> thought about who did them last. Oh, oh, so. poor mom. It's fine. She's the best. Yeah. She does. She is also a craft person. She, she is. That, would you say that's where you got it from? Where you got the bug to do markets and make stuff? She never did <coughs> markets growing up that I can recall, but she was always drawing and always painting and always doing stuff like that. And uh, my great-grandmother as well was a painter, and she had taken um, some fine arts programs and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but mom was always building like playhouses for us or doing something crafty or painting. And yeah, so that was, that was definitely an influence. Yes. And now she's learning from you because she goes to markets now. I've told her to go to markets. Yeah. And now she also runs yours. From time to time. <laughs> From time yeah. to time. My parents always come with me to the New York Comic Con. And in the last couple of years, um, I've kind of, I've doubled up on some shows and luckily my parents agree to go off to Halifax and have an adventure yeah. and run my table, which is where you met them. Right? Well, 
Yes, yes it is. And now they're my family. So I have not only taken Justin's family from him, (laughs) I have taken this Cassie and Tonk novel. Mm -hmm. Um, And also as a kind of a roundabout tie up to that, Claire is from Nova Scotia. So at the time when I was in Halcon, while I was hanging out with your parents, I was staying with her sister. Everything is a circle. It's all a circle. Um, So yes, I have read the full book because I am the editor on this project so uh not only that's kind of why i wanted to chat about it because um being an editor on a project that doesn't yet exist is very interesting and i also haven't edited a book piecemeal before so as claire was writing it she was just sending me the chapters bit by bit bit by bit and then as she was writing them she was like could could this work could that work um and she she and i had do you feel like that because you have such a close relationship with claire has that been a lot easier um so Just to give a little bit of context, Claire and I attended the same postgraduate course at Humber to get our training in publishing and editorial, and we've kind of, we've been very close since then, so probably nine years now. We talk every day, even beyond doing this stuff. Uh, and as time wore on and the two of us kind of got a uh, better understanding of how we each work, I have edited her novels that are separate from this one. So I've edited her um, in her Violet Fox series. So I know her writing style and I know her hangups and I know all of that stuff. So it's actually, again, very lucky that she and I are very close, but we're also able to have those frank discussions about her work without kind of feelings getting hurt because we're both... We both understand, because she's an editor as well, that any kind of cri- critical notes or anything like that are there to serve the work. And the work is kind of, you want it to be the best it can be. So there, it doesn't really become personal. But uh, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> in Not only when you're editing friends, but, on, but even when you're working with clients who you only have a, a work relationship with. I've had some clients who I've edited and, you know, just, you know, with my blinders on, with it's not personal, I want the book to the best. And then they write me a long letter saying, I'm sorry, I disappointed you. I had to have another extra session with my psychologist and um, I destroyed them. (laughs) But I didn't mean to. Again, it was not personal. But it has been, (laughs) it's been really fun because we've been able to bounce things off each other and I can ask her questions that she can't see because... When you're writing this quickly and you're writing on spec, uh, there's a lot that you miss because you're super close to it. Uh, so it, ha- it has been really great. And then I just kind of mainlined. She just she gave me chapters one to seven, and then she was like, "I'm just gonna finish this book now," and then <laughs> sent me the rest. And I stayed up until one finishing it. And it's really great. It's really great. It's in first stage edits now. So she's going back and doing a bunch of rewrites. And then that's when you'll be able to see the full picture. Awesome. Um, It's not an enormous book, which is why it didn't take that long to write. But it did take time to develop because everyone, I think in April was when I had this initial call with her when she and I were talking about the terms of the contract that you guys uh, wanted to develop with her. Uh, It was, I think, a little bit before or after Calgary Expo. Right, because we had been kind of brainstorming what Calgary 2019 would look like with all three of us yeah, yeah. on board. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, in some respects, you have kind of worked on a, on a publishing schedule where you've just, you know, because you guys are aiming to have this book released and on your table and printed by mm-hmm. Calgary Expo 2019, which is not a lofty goal. It sounds like it, um, but it's really not. I've worked... I've worked on a 10-day turnaround uh, with books like this, uh, so this is, this is not <laughs> as stressful, and I actually can rely on it getting done. <laughs> there are two kinds of metal in this yard, scrap and art. 
If you gotta eat one of them, eat the scrap. What you currently have in your mouth is art! Can I say the book title? Is that for sure the, the end title? Or? I feel like you it. You feel like it yeah, is? Yeah, it really... Because I don't want to spoil it for you. This has also been a very difficult part of the process because I came in all excited after reading the book and I was like, Justin, do you want to be spoiled? And he said no. <laughs> so I have to talk around yeah. the book <laughs> so that he can enjoy it as a reader as well as a, like a creator, essentially. Um, but gear and see that is that encapsulates. Which I think it works because the... The and that I've worked into all of my titles for whatever reason, mm-hmm. Rust and Water, Cassie and Tonk. Except Red Dragon and Nanny. I am, well, yeah. Dragon I started, and Nanny. <laughs> sounds real stupid. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I'm going to shift, move away from that uh, title paradigm for the next couple books. I didn't mean to do that. It just kind of happened. I like mm-hmm. the this and that kind of structure. But uh, yeah, and then... <clears throat> Speaking of deadlines, the uh, I'm doing all the illustration for the the book as well. That's right. So cover, and then um, we're playing around with the idea of having little silhouette illustrations at the the front of every um, chapter head, mm-hmm. which I always liked when books did that. So and I like doing silhouette work, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. this have you have you ever done graphic design for just typeset trade books before? No. I Ooh. have I have done a novel cover too. Okay. Yeah. But not like the full interior. Des- like I'm doing the layout, which is different from design work, which mm-hmm. where I'm just ma- basically. Dear listener, laying out a book is not just a matter of hitting a button. It takes several hours for you to, you know, make sure that those words from that word document go on a page. Just in case you thought that maybe. And sometimes I've had clients do this, where they quote unquote lay out the word document. Mm thinking that that's how it's going to look like in the book and no that's no you can't just do that I you look have out to... for those orphans and widows right? <clears throat> oh my god you have to make sure your folios are in place and your colophon is properly formatted Terms. and your your margins <laughs> and your gutters yeah um it is a that's a whole other episode uh but that has been the bulk of my work actually i just do it all i'm the one-man band in mary poppins still (laughs) um but anyway books take a lot of time not only to write them but to prepare them and to get them out there which is this a bit of a unique situation having only it's kind of claire you and me putting this together is that a pretty small team in comparison to most uh yeah yeah because i mean i'm kind of covering the the full-scale editorial, the proofreading, the the layout and packaging, uh, and you're doing the design work. And also, like, he's not here, but Gregory's doing some doing stuff, too. He's when, there. When he's, we, there yeah. when, <laughs> he's there. Um, when there's development questions. It was kind of funny. He was, he was very resentful of being asked these lore questions. He was like, you don't need to know that. <laughs> and I was like, she has to know. She has to know how it, how it works. And I understand the frustration there, um, <laughs> but he has been involved as well. Um, actually, it was funny. You don't really think about this either, uh, but Claire will be selling this book at her table amongst all of her own novels, mm-hmm. and she does this by herself as well. Uh, so this is also different for her. This is nice for her that she has said um, because she's usually the one doing literally everything with no one's help, except maybe like a subcontractor or two. She does send her books out to be edited by other parties, but she does it all. She does the manages the logistics, and then she is the person at the table selling the book, which is, you know, 
it's a lot of work. It's a full-time job. It's very exhausting mentally, in addition to just all the work that goes into it. And having to deal with people coming up to the table asking you these questions. Right. Um, So it was very funny when Gregory was just kind of fighting back about, oh, no one needs to, no one needs to know it. The readers don't need to know it. And I was like, listen. You brought up that, yeah, people are going to come up and they're going to want, they're going to demand these answers from Claire to yeah. which I think both Gregor and I responded that we were excited <clears throat> to send everybody Claire's way for all the questions. Oh my God. Yeah. So let, let's, <laughs> let's make her the keeper of the lore that yes. we don't want to tell her about. That she doesn't need to. Know. Yeah. Isn't how generous. <laughs> um, also, dear listener, if you've never worked at a convention before, there you meet so many wonderful people who are super enthusiastic about your work. And then you meet people who are like, how do the robots work? Why don't you know? Is it because you're a woman? Uh, <laughs> which is something genuinely we have had to deal with. So Claire is literally just arming herself as best <laughs> as she can against the potential weirdos, which um, they aren't always a given, but you have to you have to be ready for when they come up um, because it's, it is a really great book. It's very engaging and it's very fast-paced. And what can kind of happen sometimes in books when you're really focusing on the lore and you're, you're telling, you're not showing, this book doesn't do that. It's just show. It's show through the plot. Here's the world through how people are interacting with it. There aren't these huge swaths of exposition. It's just, this is what's happening. You get right into it in the first chapter. Um, And it really relies more heavily on the relationships and the emotional development of not only the the human characters, but the robot characters as well. So I think, yeah, all these <clears throat> stories are kind of short stories, and you need to do that. You can't, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't spend chapters explaining the mechanics of everything. Right, and I think, like, what you touched on is that there is the excitement there for the reader to kind of discover it for themselves mm-hmm. and not have their hand held and not be told that this is just how it is, and which is, you know, we all, we love Lord of the Rings and we love Star Wars, but reinvent. <laughs> Please, yeah. Please, it's, it's been so many years. We're, we're all different now. We all have different <laughs> things that we like. Please just grow with the times. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about this project. I think it's going to be really great. You are who you choose to be. As far as this kind of project goes, do you, you guys foresee doing more like this? Not just in this Gear and Sea series, but this kind of... You guys have ideas, but you don't have the time to get the book div- the book written, drawn, finished. But you would still like to keep your IP- it as your IP and develop it. Yeah, I think this is kind of a, a natural step. There's only like both Greg and I have um, <clears throat> like a dozen or more books that we'd like to do over the next couple of years, and some of them are very precious and near and dear, and we're very excited to work on them. Some of them not so much. Um, and there's just not enough time. So we started to talk about more and more about bringing in um, other people to, to help us get these books done and stuff like that. And this has been, this is kind of the first real example of, of doing this and it's been working out so well. So I foresee this happening more. And I'm, I, I'm really excited about having this book on my table as well and being able to, to push and sell it. And I really think that we're going to reach the goals that we've set in place and make this into trilogy, hopefully, fingers mm-hmm. crossed. And hopefully Claire wants that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I mean, what's really interesting and um, what a lot of people don't know are people who um, like Patterson and uh, trying to think of other authors who it's less, you know, their books are coming out constantly and it's less that they're writing it. It's more that they've developed an idea and they just have one writer and it's a different writer every time. Um, And I feel that this world is expansive enough that you could probably build your own stable based on it but it's a very interesting pivot because you guys have just been the creators and the artists and the idea people and now you're kind of expanding into being publishers yeah yes when you put it like that you know it's kind of (laughs) funny we've had this conversation at the studio quite a lot where it's like what are the merits of becoming a publisher but you know we really want to do this where we have other we know so many great artists we know so many great writers we want to work with them uh but god publishing stinks (laughs) stinks <laughs> in terms of being the publisher uh but i think with the way that you guys have done this you you've kind of encapsulated doing it on your own terms without having to rely on the publishing schema which is as someone who is trained in traditional publishing and who has seen the industry change i've also seen what everyone has been afraid of And as it comes to self-publishing, dear listener, uh, what a lot of people in the traditional publishing realm, like Penguin Random House, HarperCollins, Simon & Schuster, they were always kind of about self-publishing because, oh, but then you're just going to have all these books flooding the market that aren't high quality. Mm -hmm. Then that also begs the question, who are you to be the arbiters of quality in terms of the traditional publishing sphere? And that was in you know, when I started nine years ago. And now that Amazon has become and CreateSpace have actually upped their game in terms of distribution and the people creating the content and using it, people are making their living completely doing this without having to rely on the traditional publishing sphere. Because for many years it was, I'm going to be an author. And you would submit and reject, submit, reject, submit, reject. And then you'd just be like, well, I guess I'm not going to be an author. And now it's kind of like, I'm going to be an author and do it all myself and Screw everyone. Um, There are... Yeah, it's a different landscape. But I've always... I've kind of viewed it as um, there's more opportunity for those people to try it on their own, get their bearings, maybe make like a little bit of money on that first or second book. And then they're a lot more prepared Mm -hmm. and ready to go to, say, a big publisher. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, it was just that big like wall that was unsurmountable now self-publishing can kind of help you get in the door and help you get up that wall a bit so you can hopefully work with those big publishers one day. It's true. And also the big publishers, to their credit, have um, they've kind of turned their heads a little bit because if, you're, if you have enough gumption uh, to get out there and be like, I'm going to invest a lot of time and a lot of money and I'm going to take a big reality check pill and go out on my own and build my own brand and essentially build your own company that's based around your own creative work. Publishers see that as you've built a brand and you've done the legwork for them. And a lot of publishers, um, I mean, people will think if I self-publish, I'm never going to be able to be a traditionally published author. But there are plenty of publishers out there who just look at what's selling very well in the self-published arena and scoop it up and, you know, are like, hey, we can we'd like to traditionally publish this and they, because they see that it has business potential. Yeah. Does that happen often? Like a publisher wants to sign this author, but then they see that they say like, you know, for example, Claire has this whole brand and catalog. Would that be a deterrent for a big publisher to pick her up? I don't think so anymore because no, again, but it's at like, one point that was, at one point it was because it's like, Oh, well, I mean, 
first of all, Claire is also trained as well in the traditional publishing traditional publishing sphere. So the way that she packages and presents herself, she looks like a she legitimate looks very entity. Legit, yeah. There are a lot of people out there who don't really have a grasp of that. They have big dreams, but the execution is kind of, um, and they can't really see that. Uh, so someone like Claire, she's also she's a viable asset because she's already invested so much time in making herself look legit that to a publisher it's like she's built this brand she obviously has a following um, and she's invested so much time in doing self-distribution and when a publisher comes to a self-published person they're like what we can offer you is our big promotional budget the fact that we can distribute into more stores and more people and they kind of view it as a partnership um, hmm. And it sounds like, oh, that's such a beautiful, magical, rosy, skied thing. I'm going to go out and self-publish. It doesn't happen like that for everyone. And it does take, I will just keep saying, it takes a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of, it's just, you don't have a life. <laughs> um, but I mean, yes, it is. I mean, we all saw it with Fifty Shades of Grey. That was a self-published entity. E.L. James is now set for life, however poorly executed her books were but it did change the landscape it really just signified that you know if you have an idea and you want to get it out there and you do it in a way that actually entices people to buy books then you know it makes you a good prize which is it's magical it is magical I mean when <laughs> I first just trying to think when I first kind of started getting like closer to you and Gregory in terms of business, it was probably in 2014 when you guys had just launched Cassie and Tonk. First time we met. Yeah, yeah. and you had done it uh, at this big book festival which no longer exists. It was not nearly as big <clears throat> as they promised. Yeah. They told us 100,000 people were going to be there. And 20,000 only came. No, it was more like 10 to four, 15. I it heard. was really yeah. tough. <laughs> it was like they were trying to be Canadian Book Expo and it was just executed very poorly. However, you guys got a taste of actual traditional publishing industry stuff with Cassie and Tonk because I recall uh, Gregory talking about how there were like actual legitimate publishers who were coming up to you and being like want to make a deal your your book looks legitimate yeah. <laughs> um, and that was like your first out of the gate yeah which we must were have just felt pretty great young and wide-eyed and yeah. But you're, for it being a very dead festival, your table was extremely busy. And you were also in a weird place. We're kind you're, of, yeah, stuck in a corner. shoved in the back, yeah. but the lineup to get those free sketches and this big, beautiful robot book We hadn't was... even figured out the free sketches as much. We were just drawing in the books. Yeah. Which I think helped a lot. We've learned, we've learned a lot of tricks since. Uh, actually, yeah, speaking of the free sketches, uh, we recently did a signing at Chapters last weekend and our new trick, feel free to steal this, guys, um, is we put up, we do a book signing at a, a bookstore, which a lot of people walking through kind of avoid those tables because, you know, it's just an, an interaction where you're trying to sell them something. So how we've kind of gotten around that is we put up a big sign saying free sketches. And we have a bunch of scrap paper and little kids will come up and we'll offer to draw them dragons, robots, I've gotten really good at unicorns after, <laughs> over the last couple of years. Um, and so we just sit around. We draw free pictures for kids. And while we're drawing, if they want to check out the books, that's fine. If not, they get a free sketch and they, they take off. And that's a customer for later, we always, we always think. Um, but it just creates this crowd around us and a buzz. And we're not, we don't have to really try to sell hard. We're just putting on a bit of a show. And that really does translate to them 
taking a chance on the books and, and usually right. picking one up. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, we've, we've gotten good at that trick, that that trick that trick we have fooled a lot of people dear listeners <laughs> this is how justin scams mm-hmm. yeah um it's and it's just a pile of scrap paper you guys are just kind of just like here you go we used um when the graphic novels arrive they're in boxes and they are cushioned by the guts of misprinted it's a French novel of some kind or a French textbook. It's always or like a French dictionary something or something that, like that. Yeah. So it's the misprinted. So we have actually started using those mm. as our scrap paper for the sketches. So wow. Yeah. Recycling. It, yes. <laughs> we're helping the environment by doing a commerce. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there are all kinds of angles that you're, you guys have been working for so many. Yeah. So it's been, it's been five years since Cassie and Tonk came out. Because it was, yeah, it was in February, I think. Of it was in November 2014. Was it? Oh, yeah. You're yeah. right. You're right. Um, yes. And I, and I immediately thought that Justin did not like me. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I was just like, well, screwed the pooch on that one. He's just really and I thought won't you, talk to me. And I thought you were a big deal in publishing. So I was just being now, I'm, I'm scared. Now we just work together hatefully. Hatefully. Just yeah. a lot of mean banter and that's just the natural progression of a work relationship that's how things work and that's what this episode has been all about <laughs> uh well we do miss gregory or do we or do we yeah talking about change there's gonna be some changes around here at super pulp science cool. namely he's out and we i'm can, in <laughs> we can pull some great pranks on his stuff and he won't hear this episode until he's back so he won't know yes yeah let's do that okay, okay good well, on with two lists for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone on the spectrum, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. Go out there, join the fight, and make comics. Or books. Or books.